Lord, I'm asking this morning that you'd help me to share this message and just make it applicable to our lives where the rubber meets the road. In, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. I enjoyed family camp. That's the first family camp I went to. I've been to it since I've been the pastor of our church. We were at Phillips Reservoir last weekend. Uh, a number of us were up there and uh, went out on the boat uh, that uh, that uh, they had there, a couple different boats. And, and then I even went on the, um, there was a houseboat out there with a slide. The Aix and Karen Chadwick had this houseboat and went down the slide. But I want you to know I didn't go first. My wife went first. I followed Kathy. And then that particular evening, um, we set up a tent and we got a, 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 one of those air mattresses and it was just a little skewer to the left. And so usually I'm chasing after Kathy, but that night she was chasing after me. <laughs> I'm only joking. <laughs> so uh, anyway, we, we had a wonderful time. We had a great time there. I'm continuing my series uh, that I started in the life of David, and I invite you to pull out those message notes and just follow along this morning. We're in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 40 through 51. Uh, we're we're wait, making our way through the, the, this passage of Scripture, and now we're looking at the final battle, the final scene that uh, we're going to look at between David and Goliath. But let me tell you what happened uh, I read about a couple years ago. There was a young man who faced an enormous giant. You, you see, giants come in all different shapes and sizes and trials and difficulties, and this particular young man faced this giant. He had a choice. He either was going to cut off his arm or he was going to die. He was going to cut off his arm or he was going to die. What happened is, is that he went to a base, basement area and he began to work on an old furnace when all of a sudden the furnace tipped over and trapped his arm. Trapped his arm. And he was there for a day. He was there for two days and he was there for three days and he realized that he didn't tell anyone where he was going. He didn't have his cell phone with him. And there was no one that knew he was there. And so he had a dilemma. He realized after he prayed, he said he prayed, and he began to see God's wisdom and counsel, and he began to think about his fiancée that he was married to, and he began to think about his family, and he realized that he had to cut off his own arm. So he took a sharp knife out and become, he cut the skin away and the muscle away, and he was able to break the bone, and he was able to wrap it up very quickly and go outside and uh, pastoring uh, motorist picked him up and took him to the emergency room and the news people the news people in this final news program showed this young man a year later dancing with this prosthetic arm holding his new bride uh, his uh, the waist and holding her hand as he was dancing at their wedding you see, giants do come in all kinds of different sizes and shapes, and we have trials, and we have difficulties, and we face all kinds of things in our particular life. And um, they, they may come from a, a lawsuit, an unexpected lawsuit, unemployment, a, a particular uh, health-related problem or disease, maybe our, even our own spouse who wants to divorce us. Perhaps it's, it's fear that sucks all the energy and drains our faith away. And they look so big and they look so intimidating. And, uh, and, and we think, I'll never make it. I'll never get through this. 
uh, it's too big, it's too huge, I might as well throw in the towel, and why even try? Sometimes the giants are so big that we are often just paralyzed by inactivity and fear. For the Jewish people, it was a nine feet, nine inch tall giant by the name of Goliath. And I told you one particular Sunday morning that from the base of the stage all the way up to the cross I measured, it's nine feet, one inch tall. So if Goliath, this huge nine feet, nine inch tall giant, if he were to stand his back against the wall, his head would go through the back of the ceiling there. He was huge. Not only was he tall, but he had a huge girth. He had all kinds of muscle on him because he carried, we know, 300 plus pounds of armor on his body like we would carry a 10-pound backpack. He was a huge man, but he, in, in, but he had, in reality, a pea-sized heart. He was a little big man. Now, the Bible tells us in our particular passage of Scripture that day after day, for 40 days straight, morning and evening, that Goliath walked down the slopes of the Valley of Elah. The Philistine army was on one side, and the Israelite army was on the other side. And this Valley of Eli was about a mile, it's about a mile in width. And he would come down his side. He would walk clear up to the base of the valley where the Israelites were at. And he would bellow his threats and blasphemies. And he would curse at them. And he would uh, uh, say all kinds of terrible and awful things about them and about God Almighty. Now, he did this 40 days, twice a day. However, on the 41st day, on the 41st day, it was the beginning of the end for this big little man. And the reason why is, is that some 10 miles away, 10 miles away, there was a youth by the name of David. I call him a wet-behind-the-ears teenager, 15, 16, 17 years of age. And to review just a little bit, David was the youngest son of Jesse, and the prophet had anointed him to be the next king of Israel. And the Holy Spirit fell in fullness on David at that particular moment, the Scripture says, and David went back out in the sheepfolds. No one knows that he has been chosen as a new king of Israel, not Saul, not anyone else, except for his immediate family and the prophet. And all of a sudden, on the 41st day, he's thrust into public ministry. And it happened like this. Jesse said, David, I want you to go to the front. I want you to go to the battle lines where your brothers are at. And I want you to bring provisions for your brothers. And I want you to check up on them. And so that's what he does. He goes to the battlefront where his brothers are at and where the Philistines are camped. And uh, what he saw and what he heard when he entered the Israelite camp was overwhelming to him. In verse 26, if you want to look at it with me, in verse 26 of chapter 17, David says out loud, Who is, who is this uncircumcised Philistine, because he heard Goliath bellow these threats, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Now, it is an understatement to say that David is livid. David is angry. David is very, very upset. Another translation reads, Take away this stench of reproach from Israel. How dare this huge giant do what he's doing and say what he's saying? 
And all of a sudden, Saul, the king, hears about this young man, hears about his inquiry about what the person would get if they fought Goliath and won, and hears that David said this out loud because he's in the midst of a group of soldiers. And Saul gets wind of this. And you see, Goliath had been building these sets for 40 days, and basically he's been saying, everybody's been hearing, he's been saying, send one warrior out. This was often how they fought battles back in those days. Send one warrior out to face me, and the winner take all. Our armies don't have to fight, and if I win, you will surrender yourself to me, and if your champion wins, we will surrender ourselves to you. And for 40 days, everybody was shaking in their boots. Everybody, their, their teeth was chattering. There's no one that would step forward and face Goliath. And Saul would not face Goliath himself. No one else would do this. And all of a sudden you have this young teenager who seems just a little bit overconfident, overconfident, this young teenager who steps forward and uh, can't believe his ears. He says all of these things, and the king hears about it. And so the king invites him into his tent. Now, you have to know that Saul, again, has not been walking with the Lord. We've, we've talked about that. He's been in a, in a, in a slide downward. He's in a, he's in a moral erosion. He hasn't been walking with God. He's been disobedient. He can't hear God's voice anymore. And David is standing before him, and he's hesitant. He's hesitant. And he's probably thinking to himself, well, there's no one else here, and I'm not going to stick to the original agreement. If this young teenager goes out there and gets slayed, we're not going to surrender to this huge giant called Goliath. So what do we have to lose? What do we have to lose? And he thought to himself, oh, whatever. You know, I was reading uh, a couple years ago about John Wooden. Does that name ring a bell to some of you? John Wooden was the basketball coach for the University of California, Los Angeles, for a number of years. And he won, his teams won, 10, 10 national championships. 10, a record that will never, ever, I don't think, ever be broken again. 10 national championships in a row, in a row, while he was a coach. He was a committed Christian man, and he wrote a number of books. And I was reading in his biography this past year. And did you know that John Wooden, when he wanted to move, he applied to two universities. He applied to the University of Minnesota, where he had family friends, and he applied to UCLA. And according to John Wooden, he wanted to go to the University of Minnesota. He wanted to go to the University of Minnesota. And he interviewed at both places, and the University of Minnesota folks said, set by your phone, and we'll call you, and we'll let you know how everything turns out. And so he sat by his phone, and he never heard from them. He never heard from them the time that he was supposed to hear from them. In the meantime, he got a call from UCLA, and they said, we want you as our coach. And he thought... Well, I haven't heard from University of Minnesota, so I'm going to go to UCLA. And so he said, I'll go to UCLA. A couple days later, guess what happened? He got a call from University of Minnesota. And they said, the lines were down. We had a severe ice storm. And we couldn't get through to you. We want you to be our next coach. And John Wooden said, I wanted to go there. I was waiting for the call. I was waiting for you folks to call me. But I've accepted another job, and I can't go back on my word. And the rest, as they say, is history. After 
Saul invited David into his tent. He had no idea. He had no clue that David was chosen by God. That God has strategically placed David at that particular time to face the biggest giant in the whole land. I'm going to tell you something. No one will face your giants but you. God hasn't called anybody else to face your giants. And each of us have our own giants to face. And just like David, perhaps your family and your church and your community is depending upon you to face your giants and to win. And believe me, they come in all kinds of different ways. All kinds of different uh, avenues toward us. And old Snaggletooth knows in the back of uh, his strategic planning, because the Bible says he's cunning, he knows how we're vulnerable. And I, I read a while back about Dr. James Dobson in one of his books. He said that he was right in the middle of starting Focus on the Family and things were going really well for him. And, and he got into Donnybrook with his wife. He got in a really bad argument with his wife. And uh, they were pretty stressed. And so he decided to take a drive down the street and get away for a little bit. And as he was driving down the road, he said, it doesn't, it doesn't happen to him. It never happened to him before. But it just happened at that particular day, at that particular moment, after he got in a fight with his wife, he was driving down the street and he stopped at a red light and a beautiful blonde pulled up in a sports car right beside him and smiled at him and waved at him and went up and got in front of him and waved him over like this and she drove down a side street. And he said, at that particular moment, I didn't think about my wife. I didn't think about my ministry. I didn't think about any of those things that we think we would think about. I thought about what a man sows, he reaps. <laughs> what giant has God called you to do to face at this particular moment? And it's not just you. It's perhaps your family and your church and your community that, that is going to be affected by how you face that giant in your life. It was a God thing. It was a provincial act of God that Saul called David into his tent. He didn't know anything about him. He didn't know anything about his family, so to speak. He just knew this young man said those things he said. And David said, when he had the conversation with Saul, he said, I'll face, I'll face the giant. I'll face the giant. What seemed haphazard by default was in actuality part of God's sovereign plan. And nothing happens in our life by circumstance because we all know Romans 8.28. We all know what Romans 8.28 says. God is the one. He, if he's the one that's called us, he will work everything out for our good and for his intentions and purposes. Well, look at uh, verse 40 with me. Chapter 17, verse 40. Look at it with me. Then, then David 
took his staff. This is after he had a conversation with Saul. And Saul tried to humorously put on his armor on David and his helmet fell off. And here is um, Saul. He's a 52 long and David is a 32 short. <laughs> this, the, the armor won't fit on him. And, and so after he, he says, no, I, I reject the armor, verse 40. Then he took his staff of his hand and he chose five smooth stones from the stream and he put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag. And with this thing in his hand, he approached the Philistine. I find it interesting that he finds five smooth stones and he puts them in the shepherd's bag. And he, and he takes his uh, sling with him as he approached Goliath. And, and this leads me to my first observation I want to make. I, I've made several observations as we've, as we've gone through these particular passages of Scripture. And I want to make several of them in this particular passage as well. Do realize, do realize that God uses what we have and who we are. God uses what we have and who we are in our weaknesses when facing our giants in order to magnify his name. He uses us even in our weaknesses, in our weaknesses to face our giants. People say, I don't have very much. David didn't have very much. David had five smooth stones and he had that sling. And the Apostle Paul says this, when I am strong, I am weak. No, he said, when I am weak, he says, I'm strong because I'm dependent upon God's grace and I'm dependent upon God's tender mercies. When I am weak, I am strong. He takes what we have, just a little bit of faith, just a little bit of the gifts that we have, just a little bit of the abilities in order to magnify his name. We don't have to be eloquent we don't have to have a huge IQ. We don't have to be uh, as wealthy as a Bill Gates. We don't have to be brilliant. We don't have to know all the answers. All the Lord asks us is that we trust him with all of our heart and he takes what we have and he uses those little bitty things that we think are insignificant. And, 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 and then we stand before him. We stand before him with the little bit that we have and God transforms it and uses it. And he'll use our simple faith, and the Lord will win the battle. Well, let's go back to our story. After rejecting Saul's armor, collecting those five simple stones with just a sling, how simple, how trusting, how courageous. David, let's just, let's just be honest. David had all the odds against him. Humanly speaking, he had all the odds against him. This guy, there wasn't a guy in both armies that gave David a chance there wasn't a guy in both armies that gave David a chance, even King Saul himself. But David didn't need their backing. All he needed was the Lord in his corner. That's all he needed was the Lord in his corner. God takes a little and makes much out of that. So after picking up those stones, he approaches Goliath, the Philistine champion from God. The shepherd boy made the giant laugh initially, out loud, Looking at David, here's this skinny teenager. He made him laugh. What a joke. But then his laughter quickly turned to hatred. Look at verses 42 through 44 with me. Notice 17, 42, and 44. He looked David over and saw that he was only a boy, ruddy and handsome. And he, what? He despised him. And he said to David, am I a dog? Did you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine Notice, curse David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh 
to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. The Bible says that when Goliath saw David, he had instant hatred and disdain in his heart for that young teenager. The context tells us another strong word is he loathed, loathed him. He put him down. He called him a dog. He, he made fun of his stature and he threatened to feed his flesh to the beasts and the vultures. It was all smack talk. Smack talk. Trying to get into David's head. This leads me to observation number two. I've talked about this before. But the enemy of our soul uses lies and intimidation and fear. Giants often use intimidation and fear to get us to the place where we become inactive and we don't even want to face any of our giants. I might as well throw in the towel. I might as well give up. I might as well just, just roll over and die someplace. I'm so fearful. I'm so afraid. They're, 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 they're so big. They're so intimidating. Nine feet, nine inches tall. Who wouldn't want to face a giant like that? And that's the way often the giants that we face are. They use fear and intimidation. What does the Bible say? The Bible says that Satan is what? He's the father of lies. He takes truths and he twists them. He twists half-truths. He twists old truths. He, he weaves absolute lies. Be strong and courageous, God said to Joshua as he was ready to cross the Jordan River at flood stage as he was leading the children of Israel across with no boats or no helicopters or anything like that. One of my favorite scenes comes from church history. You know, church history has all kinds of great illustrations. And one of my favorite uh, church history moments is Martin Luther, the reformer the leader of the Protestant Reformation. You know, he was a Catholic monk. He was a monk for a number of years. And um, and he began to study Scripture, and he began to understand a, a couple of different things. And he began to realize what we call uh, salvation by faith in Jesus Christ alone. And he began to teach that, and he began to teach the priesthood of all believers. And, and he began to, as a scholar, begin to study what the New Testament said about this particular subject. And he wrote, he wrote a bunch of different things about it. He wrote pamphlets and books and different things. What, what, and the, the, the Catholic Church at that particular time had a problem with Martin Luther. They did. They had a problem with him. And they, they made him appear before the Diet of Worms. And they, they, they said, you stand right here next to all of your writings, a table, and there were the Catholic dignitaries, and there were the German lords up here, the Diet of Worms, and there was Archbishop Eckerd. And he kept questioning Luther. He said, Luther, uh, you, what you wrote is terrible. It's awful. Recant, recant, repent, repent. If you don't repent, if you don't recant, you're in danger of going to jail and you're in danger of being excommunicated and you're in danger of, of hanging. You're in danger of all these things. And Martin Luther, according to church history, he made that famous statement. You remember what he said? He said, I stand upon God's word alone. I can do no other, no, no, I can't do it any other way. And I will can't will not recant, and I will not repent. David is facing a huge giant. 
And it is fear and intimidation. It's smack talk. And we face from all different ways, all different trials, all kinds of different difficulties, these enemies come at us every different way. And what are we going to do in that, those instances? What are we going to do in those particular times? What are you going to do? Are you going to cower? Are you going to run away? Are you going to be like a puppy dog with his tail between his legs? Are you going to fight? Up? Are you going to stand up and fight and say, this is the truth, and this is what God's Word says, and this is, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to do what the Lord wants me to do. And so, with confidence in God, David responds to Goliath and his empty threats. Look how David responds to Goliath, verses 45 and on there. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This day the Lord will hand you over to me, and I will strike you down, and I will cut your head off. Today I will give you the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the whole earth, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. Now notice verse 47. All those gathered here will know that it is not what? What is it? That it's not by sword, it's not by spear that the Lord saves. For what? For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all into our hands the context today. The battle is the Lord's. Do, it's very simple, do rightly perceive that the battle is the Lord's. The battle is the Lord's. David says, the battle we fight are the Lord's. It's not our battle, it's the Lord's battle. We don't fight against flesh and blood. The Bible says we're fighting against principalities and powers. We can't outsmart our enemy. We can't outfox him. You can't. It's the Lord's battle. And we fight it in the Lord's way. So David is confident in his victory because he understands with a little, God can make much. It's not his battle. It's the Lord's battle. It's the Lord's battle. So here he is, this young teenager, not a fully grown man yet. He's had history with God. He's killed animals, bears, and lions. God has helped him to do this. He's got a fresh anointing of God, the Holy Spirit upon his life. He sees who the enemy is. He recognizes that it's not his battle, it's the Lord's battle. He uses his particular sling and those, that stone, the five stones, he takes one of those. And as he's making his way across the valley of Elah, a mile wide, Saul is approaching him. And they're going to come to a meeting point. When all of a sudden, don't you know, when all of a sudden, like a leopard leaping on an enemy, David runs full bore, slinging that thing around and around and around, and he releases it, and I bet you he let out a yell. Yahoo! And that stone went straight toward Goliath, and the Bible says it struck him right between the eyes just like a bullet hitting somebody. It was just like a bullet. It hit him right between the eyes. 
broke that bone right there, probably went to his, into his brain, and blood and gore begin to emit out. And David, stu- uh, excuse me, Goliath stumbled around a little bit like this, and all of a sudden, that big old Goliath, who's huge, nine feet nine inches tall, probably weighed in excess of five or six hundred pounds, falls flat on his face, prostrate. And David, the Bible says, runs over and grabs his huge sword. He could barely lift it up. It was so big and long. And he brought that sword down and he severed the head of David, uh, excuse me, of Goliath, severed the the neck from the, 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 the shoulders and killed Goliath. Uh, dead. He's dead. And the Bible says, uh, the context tells us he probably grabbed his head. I don't think he grabbed his head, but he stood on the back of Goliath with his arms up like this. And all of those Philistines who were confident in their champion, their faces fell. And all of the Israelite army who gave David no chance, no chance... David did something that no one could do. King Saul and all of the Israelite army. Because God used him. It's the the battle. The battle is the Lord's. The battle is the Lord's.